And please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9. <clears throat> Chapter 9 and verse 2. Chapter 9 and verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And our subject this evening is darkness overcome by light. Well, we come this evening to consider once again the book of the prophet Isaiah, and we are working our way through it. And we will uh, this evening look at uh, chapter 9, not uh, exhaustively, because uh, many of the things uh, that are in chapter 9, certainly in the second part of the chapter, we have... uh, already considered at length in previous chapters and will continue to do so as we go through the first half of the book. But just to recap, uh, last week's uh, study, we looked at the judgments that were uttered upon uh, Israel. Uh, Remember the northern kingdom led by uh, Pekah, the military commander, had joined forces with Syria against Judah. And uh, they will be judged. Syria and Israel will be judged. But Judah too will be judged because they, as you will recall, trusted in the Assyrians to help them and not in their God. And uh, they were guilty of uh, a kind of uh, worldliness we considered in uh, uh, chapter 8 in that they were afraid of the things that... uh, the world was afraid of. And uh, we read that in uh, verse 12 of chapter 8, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. So, uh, They feared as though they had no God. And the God that they had, they did not fear him. And so this was uh, to their detriment, to their sorrow, to their shame. They were acting just like the rest of the world. It was a form of worldliness. And uh, so there was uh, judgment declared upon uh, Judah and Israel. But also in that chapter, we saw uh, glimpses of Christ And uh, verse 14, for example, in chapter 8, And he, Christ, shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Christ shall be a sanctuary, a place of safety for all those who believe in him and trust in him, of course, But for those who do not, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And uh, this is specifically addressed to both the houses of Israel and even the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, Christ came to his own and his own received him not. Of course, we, we know this. And there is a sense as we read this 
in Isaiah in the Old Testament, there is a sense that the rebellion against God by uh, Israel and Judah and the rejection of God by Israel and Judah in the Old Testament is itself a type, a foreshadowing of the Jews' rejection of Christ in the New Testament. So it's a type when we see uh, Judah falling away and Israel falling away and rejecting God. Well, it is a foreshadowing. It's a type of how they will reject Christ in the New Testament. So uh, in itself, it is a prophecy. And likewise, the judgments upon the Jews, the judgments upon Israel and upon Judah in the Old Testament, they are types of the judgment that uh, God will set upon the Jews in the New Testament. Because they turn away from God in the Old Testament, there are judgments upon them. And because ultimately they will turn away from Christ in the New Testament, there will also be judgments upon them. So uh, these are types. And uh, ultimately, all of these things, well, uh, these uh, prophecies of Christ are mentioned so closely to, uh, uh, in connection with what is going on with Assyria and so on, because... Uh, these are types, and uh, uh, we must uh, make note of these things. But nevertheless, even despite all the judgment, well, there would be those who would believe, Jew and Gentile. And verse 18 in chapter 8, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion, well, in the letter to the Hebrews, as we looked at last week, these words are attributed to Christ. I and the children whom the Lord hath given me. This is Christ's people, Christ's church. We are for signs and for wonders to Israel and, uh, well, to the whole world, the Lord's people. The Lord's people will amaze and confound all those who look upon us. And uh, so Christ is there, even in uh, that eighth chapter. But towards the end of the eighth chapter, uh, well, the chapter closes uh, with a very bleak and dark scene. Uh, the people have turned away from God's word and they've looked to other sources. Verse 19, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? So the people have turned away from uh, uh, seeking the Lord. They're now consulting uh, those who dabble with the occult wizards and so on, familiar spirits. They're not seeking their God. And uh, why is that? Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. There is no light in them. They do not desire the word of God in order to desire the Lord's guidance and to believe in his word. We must be given that light that only God can give us. But the people are in a miserable state. And uh, well, at verses 21 and 22, they are hardly bestead and hungry in a desperate state, 
And uh, they curse their king and their God. We read at the end of verse 21, they're blaming everybody. They're blaming God rather than seeking him. And uh, verse 22, and they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So chapter 8 ends with darkness, but this darkness is going to be dispelled uh, in chapter 9 with uh, the promise of Christ. And uh, this is what we're going to look at uh, for the most part this evening. Now I did uh, uh, do some uh, sermons or preach some sermons on uh, verses 6 and 7 at Christmas, so I'm not going to go uh, too much into detail again into uh, those verses, but this uh, chapter, well, it is uh, uh, one that speaks very much of Christ. So verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Well, this is uh, speaking of uh, areas, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, that would be greatly troubled by the Assyrians in uh, their oppression of uh, Israel and Judah. These regions particularly will suffer. They will be grievously afflicted. But uh, ultimately, these very same regions that have been so oppressed, that have been so decimated and devastated by their enemies, one day there will be great light there. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness that will suffer under the Assyrians and because of their sin. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death Upon them hath the light shined. And this is, uh, well, a wonderful prophecy of Christ. Israel and Judah, they suffer now. They will be oppressed by the Assyrians, by Tiglath-Pileser in uh, terrible ways. But one day there is hope. And we know because uh, we looked at this at Christmas, but just to uh, remind ourselves we know that verse 2 is uh, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4 and uh, the verses 13 to 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 verses uh, 13 to 16. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephtalim, these same areas that were oppressed. Verse 14, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the light that is being spoken of here. Christ coming and preaching in those uh, places. But these words are, are wonderfully full of comfort for us. 
These are words we can apply to ourselves as believers and just a, a devotional thought for us in this Bible study because it is possible, and we do often remind ourselves of this, it's possible that we as believers can sit in darkness. We can sit in darkness possibly because of our own sin and our own rebellion against God, the wickedness of our own hearts. That can bring us to great uh, spiritual darkness. It can bring us to a place where there is no light. And sometimes we can get to the same state as Israel and Judah. Remember, they were blaming everybody. They were cursing their king and their God. Sometimes we can get to that state. Of course we can. Even as believers, we get so down. We get so dark. We blame everybody else and we blame God. We try not to, but we blame God. This is the dark place that we can get to. Or sometimes it can be because of affliction, because of sickness, or bereavement, or great grief. Everything in the future looks bleak. But whatever it is, whatever situation we find ourselves in, when we look to the Lord, there is light. That's when light enters in. And sadly, it is our nature when we are in those dark places, we seem to want to remain in those dark places. We don't seem to want to go to the word of God. We don't seem to want to pray to let the light in. It's like we want to keep the curtains closed and to remain in the darkness. But if we would only turn to the Lord, then there is light. It won't be worse for us. It will be better for us. The light will come in. And this is a wonderful blessing to us. The Lord will bring us out of our deepest despairs, out of the greatest doldrums. And when the light comes, and again, I mention this, this often, when uh, the light comes, well, it will seem all the brighter because of how great the darkness was. When we are in the pits of despair and in utter darkness, well, even a little bit of light seems wonderful and bright. But when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and when we are brought out of our trial and our difficulty, well, the light is a greater joy to us than otherwise it would have been. This is the teaching of the word of God. In those dark places, if our hearts are in a dark place, they will be full of light. If our eyes are full of tears, well, they will be lightened. If our uh, tongues cry out in despair, well, they will rejoice. Because this is what Christ does. Those that have walked in darkness, we shall see a great light. We have those tremendous words in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Well, these complement uh, the prophecies of Isaiah very well. The Assyrians, the enemy, oppressed the land. But that same land saw a great light. So we must remember that when Satan oppresses us, or when we are oppressed, 
by our own sins and our own despair. Well, we trust in the Lord and we shall see that same great light upon us. This is a great comfort to us. Upon them hath the light shined. But then we move on to verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. Now, uh, there is some controversy as to whether uh, this verse should read, Thou hast multiplied the nation and increased the joy. A number of people think that uh, uh, the translators of the King James Version have got that wrong. Uh, but others suggest that uh, this is uh, communicating, or the prophet is trying to say, that the Lord did multiply the nation and prospered the land, but there was no true joy in it. Previously, there was uh, outward prosperity for Israel and for Judah, but there was no real joy. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. Well, that's possible, isn't it? That there can be outward prosperity and no joy, but the joy comes again with Christ. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Surely this is speaking again of gospel blessings, the harvest, the seed that is sown, the word that will be uh, preached by Christ and his apostles that will uh, result in a wonderful harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, no longer will uh, Satan hold dominion. Christ will come and uh, he will conquer Satan. And take the spoil, all those who would otherwise have been held prey by the evil one, by the enemy of souls. Well, uh, they will now be claimed by Christ. And uh, verse 4, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Again, words of uh, freedom. Christ comes and breaks the yoke of his burden, the yoke of uh, works, salvation by works, that's broken. The ceremonial law, the yoke of sin, being under Satan's bondage, as I've just mentioned, the rod of his oppressor. This is the victory that Christ will win. And Christ is likened to uh, Gideon in the last part of verse 4 as in the day of Midian. Uh, we won't turn to it, but in Judges chapter 7, as some of you will remember, uh, Gideon had uh, a great victory, scored a great victory against the Midianites. And uh, that victory against the Midianites was not by human strength. It was by the power of God. Again, you will recall that Gideon only had 300 men just 300 men. You know, some had to go home and some were sent home. Oh, again, I won't go into all the details, but just a few unarmed men and uh, Gideon, well, by the sound of, uh, of trumpets and uh, the mere breaking of pitchers, well, he won the great victory. It was by the power of God. And so why is he mentioned here? Well, this will be the same victory. This will be uh, 
uh, a victory that is not one with a confusion and noise that we read of in verse 5, for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, not like an earthly battle. This is going to be won by the power of God, just as Gideon's battle was won by the power of God, just as the Midianites were overcome. But it will be a certain victory. This shall be with burning and fuel of fire. The gospel will have a certain victory just as soon or just as surely as a fire lit with fuel will uh, certainly consume all things in its path. Nothing can stop it. This is the certainty of Christ's victory. Christ and the gospel will, in a sense, consume all in its path. All that threatens to stop the gospel will not prevail. It will be like a fire that uh, is powered by a great fuel. The spread of the gospel will be like a spread of an unquenchable fire. And ultimately all enemies will be cast into the fire as it were. Some commentators suggest that this is even pointing to the very last day when Christ has the ultimate victory. When the devil and uh, all of his angels will be cast into the lake of fire and everyone who is in opposition to God will be cast into the lake of fire. Some of the commentators suggest this is referring to this. Ultimately, this, the gospel, shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And of course, it's a sanctifying fire for those who believe. So all of this is relevant, but time is running on. Verse 6, again, I won't go into great detail in this, but just to remind you, for unto us a child is born, the wonder of the incarnation, the incarnate God, the everlasting God, the second person of the triune Godhead born into this world. What a wonder. A child, even as a child, he doesn't appear as a man, a fully grown man, a child is born. This is the Messiah. Unto us a son is given, and while we considered at Christmas time, the firstborn son has that place of privilege in any family. Christ is to be esteemed. Christ is to be honored, just as the firstborn son would be honored. And of course, he is the fulfillment of the son of David. The son of David, the one who is prophesied in the Old Testament, now he is given. A son is given to us, the son that we have been waiting for, the son of David, the son of God, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Well, many things we could uh, have said about that. Christ governs his church. The government will be upon his shoulder. The church doesn't simply do as it wants to do or as it sees uh, fit to do or what is wise in its own eyes. Christ is the governor. Christ is the one uh, to whom we uh, submit ourselves, the one who rules and governs. And he governs over hearts and minds, of course, of his people. And, uh, well, indeed, he's sovereign over all things, all things in the world. And so we rejoice in this. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And then we have those titles and very briefly, and his name, 
or his person and his work. His name shall be called, shall be defined in the following ways. Wonderful, so full of wonder. And remember that the Hebrew word actually uh, implies or strongly implies that his ways are so wonderful that they are too high for us to fully grasp. In fact, the Hebrew word has uh, more of a sense of difficulty. It's difficult to understand the wonderful ways of God. Yes, they are wonderful, but uh, they do transcend our understanding because these are the ways of God. They're not the ways of men. His name shall be called Wonderful. We marvel at these things. They're divine. They're not human. And Counselor, well, the Lord and Christ grants wisdom and he guides us through the counsel of his word. He leads us. He's our counselor. He's the mighty God, of course. We know that. That uh, doesn't need much uh, development or explaining. And the everlasting Father. Now, just to remind you again that that is not uh, uh, referring to the what we would call the first person of the, the Trinity. Uh, this is uh, simply speaking perhaps more about uh, eternity, the everlasting Father, as in Christ is the author or the giver of eternity. He is the one whom we from whom we receive everlasting life and uh, eternal blessings, not temporal blessings. He's the everlasting Father. He is the one who... Uh, well, dwells in everlasting light, and eternity is, uh, is only eternity because of God. And I think we mentioned that previously. Eternity uh, wasn't just there in the first place, and then God came and filled eternity. God really is the creator of eternity. Eternity is eternity because of God, because of the eternality of God. And so uh, we can read all that into these titles, and then the Prince of Peace. Of course, peace with God, forgiveness of all our sins, true peace, lasting peace, everlasting peace, these wonderful titles. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, of course, there'll be no end to Christ's reign. But that uh, part just at the very end of the verse, well, again, uh, these words are wonderful. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We so often think of ourselves uh, having zeal, or uh, not having zeal, as the case may be. But uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the zeal of God himself, what a wonderful thing to think about. The plan of salvation was conceived in the eternal mind. Why? Because of God's zeal. His zeal to save a people, to save his chosen people, his elect. It was his strong desire, his strong determination 
This is what has uh, led to Christ coming and to Christ dying on the cross. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the zeal to save a people, the zeal to bless his church, to bless us, even here at East Dulwich Tabernacle. Why are our prayers answered? Every single prayer that we bring to the Lord, it's answered. Why is that? Because of God's zeal. Zeal that his name be glorified. Zeal that his people be blessed and have tremendous joy in their hearts. It's God's zeal. He answers all our prayers readily and willingly. Can you not see his zeal? His zeal for the kingdom. His uh, uh, desire to preserve us to the very end. And uh, well, we know that zeal is uh, intimately connected with love. God has zeal for us because he loves us. And that is how we uh, are to deal with one another, of course. Zeal for one another and for the cause of Christ and the church because of love for one another and love for Christ. So these things, well, they are uh, tremendous to think upon. But we've just got enough time just to uh, uh, look at the remainder of the chapter 9 and just a little bit of chapter 10. Now these verses are speaking again about uh, the, uh, the decline of the people of God, the decline of uh, Israel in particular. And there are just a few things that I want to uh, point out from this account because uh, we can perhaps see these things in our day and age uh, even now in our society. So, uh, well, first of all, verse 8, The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. So this is speaking about Ephraim, and remember Ephraim is very often used uh, to uh, uh, represent uh, the northern kingdom. Uh, the ten tribes, Ephraim was the, uh, the foremost tribe, and, uh, and this is the judgment upon them. But before we just look at uh, those uh, uh, verses uh, from 9 to 13, uh, there are various reasons and uh, conditions for uh, uh, their fall, which I would like to point out to you. First of all, in verse 17, we are uh, taught of their hypocrisy. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly." For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. This refrain that we see very often, for all this his anger is not turned away, is speaking about God's hand of judgment. Judgment was upon the land. His anger is not turned away. And hypocrisy is mentioned here. Outwardly, they spoke as though they were good people. They acted as though they were good, righteous people, 
but inwardly they were wicked. They were hypocrites. They were evildoers. And, uh, well, we see that in our society nowadays, a society that uh, wants to uh, appear to be virtuous and much better than any previous generation that has gone before it. And yet there is so much hypocrisy. This is a society that loves sin, is steeped in sin, and celebrates sin, and is so uh, uh, unashamed of sin. It's hypocrisy. Speaking of virtue and uh, goodness, and yet there is so much wickedness. A society that uh, claims to be tolerant, and yet it is so intolerant of the things of God, most certainly. A society that preaches love, but everywhere you see hate. This was the kind of society, sadly, that Israel had. They were hypocrites, they were evildoers, and every mouth speaketh folly, which uh, doesn't uh, mean foolishness, it means falsehood. Every mouth speaking lies, not the truth, speaking uh, uh, really the things that they would like the truth to be, but not actually the truth. And then secondly, into uh, chapter 10, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. Well, just very briefly on this point, unrighteousness in the highest places, oppression, we could say. The leaders were... Uh, devising unrighteous decrees, oppressive laws, unjust laws. And uh, the, the poorest in society was suffering. It was almost as though the, the poorest were being criminalized to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey. And verse 3, And what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help? And where will ye leave your glory? This is a warning to the leaders. Leaders have to answer for their injustice and for their ungodliness. And where you think of the leaders of uh, this society, and they will have to uh, answer for so very much. But if we just return... Uh, to the pride of Ephraim in verse 9. And this will be the final point this evening. And this is perhaps most telling. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. It was as though the people of Ephraim and the northern kingdom of uh, Israel, they were delusional because they were being oppressed by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were coming down and destroying their houses. The bricks have fallen down. But uh, rather than uh, acknowledging their sin before God, and rather than admitting that this was a judgment of God, they just said to themselves, oh, well, we'll just build new ones. The Assyrians have come. They've uh, broken down our houses. 
but we'll just uh, build uh, uh, some new ones, no problem at all. And then the sycamores are cut down. Again, the, the devastation that the Assyrians would bring on the land. And again, rather than acknowledging this is the judgment of God, oh, we will just uh, build, uh, plant stronger trees. We will change them into cedars. They're stronger. And really the picture here is, is that of a people who refuse to see any hand of God in the judgments upon the nation. No hand of God. They, uh, they don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to do anything about it. These are clear judgments. And they are suffering the people. But well, we'll just build new houses. We'll just plant new trees. No problem at all. And that is, well, that is very much the, uh, the state of society nowadays. So many problems. So many difficulties in the world, in society. And yet nobody wants to see this as anything to do with God at all. God isn't judging us. Oh, no, it's just the, it's just the uh, po politicians, perhaps, or the economy. It's got nothing to do with God. It's just these, these earthly things. They're the problems. They dismiss any thought of God or any thought of judgment, even during the COVID pandemic, which was... Uh, to my mind at least, a very clear uh, judgment, a very clear movement of God. But nobody wanted a word of it. Hardly anybody thought about uh, any uh, divine wrath upon them or displeasure. No, this, this can all be explained in a scientific way. It's got nothing to do with God. And uh, similarly, again, we see all these uh, uh, floods and and uh, earthquakes and tornadoes and so on. Nobody wants to think it's, it's God. It's God who may be displeased with the sin of the world. No, this is all, well, it's, it's all climate change or something like that. I'm not saying there isn't anything in climate change, but what I'm saying is that these things, well, they are used to dismiss any thought of God. It can all be explained scientifically. So we don't have to worry about God at all. And this was the attitude of Israel and uh, no doubt Judah. They fell under the judgments of God, but they would have nothing to do with it. They wouldn't acknowledge it. And this was very sad. Verses 12 and 13. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. This was a judgment from God. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. This is the Lord's displeasure. But verse 13, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. God was smiting them, but they did not want anything to do with him. And this is, well, a sad feature there is nothing new under the sun. This is exactly the same that we see uh, today. If we want the Lord's hand of uh, wrath to be uh, removed, we have to repent. Of course we do. As individuals, of course, and as a nation, we must repent. That's the only way. Not uh, forgetting about it. Not... Uh, 
thinking or trying to believe that it's got nothing to do with God. Repentance, earnest, sincere repentance for each and every one of us. Well, let us not fall into these mistakes that we see here in this very sad picture of Judah. But Christ, of course, is the light that we need, the light that brings wonderful blessing, even in the darkest of situations. Well, may the Lord bless these things to us.